Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 53 on Whispering Corridors. New wave Korean cinema of the late 90s and onward logged iconic imagery, settings, feeling, atmosphere, whether through blockbuster action, exploration of vengeance, relationships uh, between North and South at the DMC, but in one of the film industry's OG years. Here in 1998 we find spooky stuff set in a school for girls. The first in a long-running, unconnected series. In this episode we take a look at 1998's Whispering Corridors. My name is Kenny B, and with me, slightly or hugely spooked out, is uh, Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time it is for you guys. Good to be with you. And it's worth noting, by the way, that across the next three episodes, including this one, we will take a look at the Whispering Corridors series, uh, but not the entirety of it, not, not not at this point anyway. So coverage for the next episode and the episode after that will include Memento Mori and Wishing Stairs, the first three in uh, this um, unconnected series. But uh, more on that in a little um, little bit. Uh, let's uh, get some contact information out of the way. And this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. We have a website where our back catalogue of What's Korean Cinema episodes uh, are located. It's called podcastonfire.com. We also do episodes on, uh, but not me and Paul, but uh, with the other co-hosts on uh, Hong Kong Cinema New and Old, on Japanese Cinema, Anime or Live Action. We do bonus episodes every now and again. So go to the website, find something that uh, suits your taste. And uh, if you have any questions or feedback, uh, if you have any opinions on Whispering Corridors or any other movies in this uh, series, let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com and do the same over on social media. We have a Facebook, uh, there's a Facebook button at the top of our website that will lead you to our Facebook page. But on Facebook, there's also a group that's called Podcast on Fire Network where we post uh, show updates, uh, discussion, and uh, funny pictures, not of each other, but uh, funny pictures nonetheless. And uh, all kinds of stuff on, and it's called Podcast on Fire Network. Search it out on Facebook and join the group. Uh, and uh, we were very friendly and we would love to have you. And uh, follow our tweets over at Podcast on Fire as well. I write about a variety of Taiwanese and uh, Hong Kong movies on SoGoodReviews.com. And my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. And uh, subscribe to us um, on Apple Podcasts, of course, to follow the feed either for uh, all the shows or follow the feed just for what's Korean cinema if that suits your tastes the best but uh, we're very grateful for the uh, listenership that we do have and for your kind comments across uh, the shows sometimes a show feels so niche to me that uh, yeah I, f- I thought it was important to do it but uh, it's not going to reach a huge audience and uh, then we get some nice comments and uh, I feel uh, very happy about it uh, that uh, fact, including uh, across this long ongoing run of what's Korean cinema episodes. So very grateful for that. You can also stream us on Stitcher Radio and Spotify and the likes. We're on plenty of other pod catchers. Before we hand over to Paul and his plug, uh, I want to mention, of course, that uh, me and Paul did the audio commentary for the Blu-ray release of Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death, a.k.a. Killer Butterfly, a.k.a. Tons of other AKs. And it's available from MondoMacabro.com. And uh, we did our very best to, to provide a, a career overview of its director, Kim ki Young. Also specifically discuss the movie, its themes, uh, its uh, intents. It was funny, I, I was reading 
like a, a random review of the film and not, not just the blu-ray review of the film uh, maybe on le- maybe on letterboxd and uh, they were mentioning the pastry scene and uh, they were saying that this seems to represent uh, as these things shoot out sperm and i was like <laughs> yeah maybe so maybe so but it's it's a pastry machine and it's super funny so we'll, we'll go with whatever they make love on the pastry and um it's uh it's a hoot but uh there you go there's interpretations that we didn't even bring to a commentary in in, in that scene in particular at the end of the day who who knows exactly what was in kim ki young's mind it could have been exactly that for as much as anything else i fear the crew that had to carry that thing onto set because that, that looks like a totally. five-ton pastry machine. That you, if you set it down incorrectly, too heavily, the floor will just collapse. You know, the building will just collapse. Yeah, totally. But uh, regardless, uh, that, that is out on uh, Blu-ray from MondoMacabre.com. It's also a region all release. So you can watch it in the UK, which is cool. And uh, let us uh, hand over to uh, Paul, who uh, who helped me interpret... Uh, Woman chasing the butterfly of death at the best of our abilities. So, uh, uh, where can we find uh, your writing on Korean cinema? My website is at hangelcelluloid.com. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangelcelluloid. Um, Twitter is at hangelcelluloid. If you go to the website, you'll find buttons for the, the social media and stuff. In case you don't know who I am, I am focused wholly and completely on Korean cinema. The site has reviews, interviews, transcriptions of talks I've given on Korean cinema. So if you haven't been there, go have a look. We'd be very glad to see you and hear from you. And uh, he's also reviewed uh, a couple of the um, uh, newish Korean films that are on uh, Netflix, uh, globally on Netflix. So if you uh, want to read Paul's uh, views on, for instance, the horror movie The Call... That's on. Uh, that's a Netflix movie, uh, and it's available everywhere, including here. Paul uh, Scotty uh, got the for, uh, got the thoughts for you and the interpretation uh, for you that you might want to read before or afterwards. Uh, I read it afterwards because uh, he had not finished writing the damn thing as I was watching. Yeah, it. That t- took me a lot. <laughs> that took me a while. That one, you know, there's just sometimes a reveal just flow out and you just get it done because you know exactly what you're going to say but with a film like that things kept hitting me as i was finishing it and you, you end up with you know thousands of words too many and you're thinking how, how can i cut any of this it's all kind of important that's i moan about it but it's it's good in a way because if a film makes you think and want to think that much i think it's worthy of you know, the the more than a thousand words I spent on it, ultimately. I have to say, a lot of the Netflix Korean stuff has sort of had issues for me at some point in the running time. There's been something that's not sat well with me or that I felt hasn't really worked. Um, the Call's one of one of the ones that, that hit me the best. You know, I was, I was deeply impressed with it, which is why I recommended it to you, Kenny. Um, so, yeah, you know, check out that if you want to. You want to scroll through though if you're if you're into your horror there's lots of old uh, classic korean horror reviews on the site as well so you know pop over have a little hook about and uh, here's the rundown of uh, what's to come here a little block of info uh, about uh, what you're gonna hear in this episode uh, we'll uh, talk uh, of the loosely connected uh, series that the uh, whispering corridors uh, spawn to give uh, you a little idea of um, 
what uh, that sort of involves and if you can even call it a series I suppose uh, uh, we'll also touch upon topics such as the changing Korean cinema scene of 1998 uh, the reception of Whispering Corridors and some notes on its uh, director uh, we then review and discuss the film so here we go and Whispering Corridors and the plot from uh, I believe I took it from Wikipedia I had to change it a little bit because um, even I spotted that uh, uh, there were some uh, grammatical uh, errors uh, across the board, but uh, here we go. Nonetheless, Whispering Corridors. Uh, while investigating school files, the frightened teacher, Mrs. Park, is uh, startled and uh, calls a young teacher called her Eun Young, telling her that the deceased Jinju, uh, Jinju Yang, is back. The phone line dies and Mrs. Park is attacked and killed by a ghost. The next morning, the teenager Yoon Jae-yi played by Choi Kang-hee, waits for her friend Lim Ji-o, played by Kim Gyu-ri. And uh, Lim uh, has the abilities, or is rumored to have the abilities, uh, to call the spirits. And uh, they begin a close friendship. Uh, that's the beginning of the close uh, friendship. Uh, the young uh, teacher, uh, her on young, played by Lee mi Yeon. She comes back to the school. She was formerly a student, and now as a teacher, she begins uh, her investigation of the events of the present and how it connects to a dark and emotional past. Uh, so, so a lot of death, uh, death in the movie, including the one that those two teenagers uh, uh, witness at the beginning of the movie. They see rather creepy view of her hanging high, high above the ground, having been killed by killed by a ghost. So. Uh, this is the first entry in the Whispering Corridors film series or the girl school horror series that I think at least you might have dubbed it, Paul, or you've read it somewhere else. But to, to break it all down, first of all, in a clear manner, it all started with 1998's Whispering Corridors, Memento Mori followed in 1999, Wishing Stairs in 2003, Voice in 2005, and A Blood Pledge in 2009. So to add some further clarity... Are these part of a continual story at any point, uh, or are they similarly themed movies that share setting or some other shared content? Because why else would you um, uh, lump them in like box sets and such? Essentially, the ghost school horror, the girl school horror doesn't. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about which of those I like and why I like it in a minute. They essentially are unrelated stories. But they're very similar in terms of their general content. They're all set in girls' schools. They're all involving ghosts. They're all involving suicides. And it, the whole thing came about when the producer of all of the first five films, a guy called Lee Chun Young, he saw a Japanese movie. And if you bear with me, to I, I, my Japanese isn't really as good as it should be, but I'm going to try a Japanese movie called Gakko no Keidan, um, which is apparently translates as school ghost stories. And he thought in terms of the dysfunction of Korean school, the school system and how he felt about that and how, you know, it's harsher on kids than any other and Everybody that ever went to school in Korea hates that period because it was so difficult. He thought it would make a really good thing to grab a younger demographic than was prevalent at the time. You know, for for years prior, 
the only people that had really been going to the movies in Korea were middle-aged women. You know, the husbands would go out to work, the kids were in school, the the middle-aged women, having done their housework, would would meet up and go to the cinema. And and things were mostly aimed at them around the time of this. There were efforts being made, and we'll talk about them more in a minute, to try and get the young involved as well. And he thought this would be a really good idea. He, you know, he produced Whispering Corridors, and then when he found other films that that fitted, or he found directors that he could push to fit another story, they they lumped another one onto the series um, until they had three, and then you know over the years, the fourth, The Voice, and A Blood Pledge, which is the worst film of the series by far, were all added, and it's all down to that producer um it was his idea just to try and grab young people and speaking of uh, a series being uh, produced uh, a few years in between uh, in, in between the movies uh, and sometimes just a year after uh, as we are recording this in 2021 we uh, read something about a sixth film that is coming up so what is there to say about that at this point the sixth film is a film that has been finished um, and it has as much as can happen during a, a, a pandemic has been released once. It was the opening film at last year's Bifan Film Festival, um, which is the Bouchon International Fantastic Film Festival. It's a smaller, much smaller festival than Busan, um, but it's much more Korean fantasy, Korean horror, rather than being a big international f- festival like busan it premiered there um it hasn't been released in cinemas since and that's simply because of covid and the problems cinemas are having um but it is complete um it stars kim soo young who was in the voice that we we mentioned briefly the fourth one in this series as well um she was also in the villainess which with kim open um and she was in the berlin file which is a re-sung one fabulous actioner the writer-director of The Humming is a female debut director who has for a long time been a big-name producer for, for numerous films. She wrote it, she directed it. The producer, Lee Chun-young, that we we spoke about, that covered producing all the other films, isn't involved. This is, I assume, more of a studio let's specifically get a film that we add to The Whisper and Corridors legacy because if you look at all the originals they're called whispering corridors they're called memento mori wishing star stairs voice a blood pledge this is the first film where the complete title is whispering corridor six the humming and it's it's essentially if when you hear what we're going to say about whispering corridors you'll find why it's been added really because it's very very it's like an an extra extension in, in Whisper and Corridors, we've got an ex-student who goes back to become a teacher. Um, in The Humming, we've got an ex-student who goes back to be a vice principal. There's been word of, of weird humming sounds heard in the girl's washroom. And when she's in there one day, she sees a ghostly figure. And the more she sees it, she more she hears the humming. She starts to believe that the ghost has actually drawn her back to school for a reason. So there's a very, very similar sort of, I was a student here, I'm now a teacher or I'm now a vice principal and uh, I'm going to have to look into 
what's happened in the past, some terrible thing. So we shall see what it's like. Word it has been quite positive from the few things that have been written about it screening at such a small festival. But we just got to wait until COVID goes away and leaves us alone before we can, you know, get a chance to see it unless Netflix steps in and grabs it and says we'll release it on on the site just as they did with the call, which is the only reason it was released at all. We'll see indeed, uh, but let's uh, rewind uh, back here because uh, we often come back to this um, discussion of uh, the new wave of commercially oriented Korean films that started around 1998 and really blew up with Shiri in 1999 and uh, it doesn't hurt to go over this again. So do you mind summarizing what, what it was that happened in Korea? Why commercially oriented and hit films uh, started to um, take off in 1998 and 1999 and really set off a wave of classic films that travel outside of Korea. I mean, what, what, what was the factor that allowed Korean cinema to take this leap commercially, uh, but also creative leap in combo with that? There were a lot of factors that are almost like a set checklist progressing on. Um, the first thing that majorly happened up until the 80s, you know, I mean, apart from melodrama and, and sort of uh, with a bit of gratuitous sexual content in the 80s there was very very little else in terms of genre restrictions were so so high a lot of korean people didn't get to see that many international films because there were restrictions on what could be imported as well in 1988 there was a legislation change that eased those restrictions on foreign film imports and they, they started to flood in from japan from Hollywood, etc., etc., and suddenly Korea was forced with having to compete with them, which it had never really had to do before. And Korea wasn't very good at adapting to this, and and really for a number of years the foreign films just took over. If if you look at 1993, Korean films, the the market share that Korean films had in the Korean box office was only 16%. So 84% were foreign. They floundered. They didn't know what they were doing. And it was only really later in around 1997 when the Asian economic crisis struck. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard about that where the IMF had to bail Korea out and, you know, people were losing, losing their livelihoods left, right and center. And the, the country was essentially bankrupt. It actually gave a big favor to Korean cinema because until then, Big companies like Daewoo and Samsung had been the things investing in, in Korean film to get the cinema out there. And they were very staid in what they wanted to do. They didn't want to piss any governments off. They, they, they wanted to keep everybody on an even level. So the, the genres were very small. They were very semi, you know, of melodrama, melodrama because things were so tough during the, the Asian economic crisis, these big companies just wanted di- to divest their interests. They didn't want to know anymore. They had, they had money worries of their own. And they opened up giving their interests or selling their interests to private companies. And private companies were far more daring in terms of what they wanted to see. They, you know, they were more interested in Korean cinema as, as a world beater rather than what the government was saying, what, what censorship said. And it gave Korean filmmakers an almost open door to start pushing things further. 
And because they'd now had, you know, five, six, seven, eight years of dealing with Hollywood, dealing with Japan, suddenly these new filmmakers realized that if they maybe, you know, studied those things or studied abroad, they could bring something new to Korean cinema. So they started going to the States and studying, coming back and bringing these new techniques in. It's almost like the floodgates opened. Suddenly these were there were new directors, new genres, originality that, that just hadn't been seen in Korean cinema at all up until then. And again, because these new things were exciting and appealed to a younger audience that was more aware of Western and, you know, international stuff. It, it in itself drew a younger demographic as well as the, the middle-aged women that, that had been the big seat buyers. But they also tried to make sure that they didn't alienate them so that they could just bring everything back. And it just skyrocketed. And by 2000, I can give you, we went from that 1993 box office market share of 16%. In 1998, in comparison, box office market share for Korean films was 25%. In 1999, it was 39%. And in 2000, it was 49%. It went from not much more than 10% of of market share to half the films being Korean. And it was all because of that legislation change and the, the divesting of interest to parties that didn't really care about censorship and just wanted things that would bank put bums on seats. Certainly happened. And uh, as we've also discussed before, horror has come and gone throughout the decades in South Korean cinema and going very far back to the likes of Thousand Year Old Fox, uh, a bloodthirsty killer to a degree, uh, even the housemaid as well as uh, gothic horror tendencies, but uh, in a more playful way, I'd say, uh, which is to its uh, really in its favor, I think. Uh, but it's said that Korean horror was generally absent in the 80s, perhaps even by uh, in, even in the 90s. But by the time we hit 1998, uh, I read that independent companies were. Uh, we're entering the the scene realizing something on a low budget can be produced uh, yeah. uh, as well and on a budget of 600,000 US dollars Whispering Corridors was made eventually released on May 30th in 1998 the, the film struck a chord with uh, audiences and and was recording to research the third highest attended local film of the year trailing only the movies A Promise and The Letter I don't know if it's easy to sort of look back on it and, and determine this, but in your view, w- was this the hit that no one could predict because it was a, a horror film? Uh, and uh, after that, uh, why don't you throw out some personal notes if you have them on the other top earners, uh, A Promise and The Letter? On a, on a general level, yeah, this is the hit that nobody saw coming and you'll see how much they didn't see it coming when we start talking about a promise in the letter in a second. Um, the other side of it is producer Lee really, really was switched on and he knew what he was doing because as well as having watched the Japanese movie and thinking that would fit with Korean cinema, he realized that there is a really old, ancient legend myth in Korea that's called generally girls high school ghost story funnily enough and it's it's a traditional folklore myth tale in which the souls of those who died horribly are not permitted to go to the next world and the fact that he was able to realize that by bringing you know that's a, a myth that that every kid grows up knowing just as we all or i certainly grew up knowing all about 
Grimm's fairy tales, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's that sort of thing, but much more ancient. And he was able to see that by putting that in a contemporary setting, he could look at a myth that kids were really familiar and felt really comfortable with and bring it alongside the horror that they remember from their own school thing. So he almost said, this will be a hit because we're going to grab them by the hair. And that's exactly what happened. But in terms of the outside world, it was a complete and utter surprise. When you look at the four big, biggest box office films of 1998, you've already mentioned We Have a Promise, which stars the wonderful Jin Do Yun um, that we all know from, you know, Secret Sunshine and etc. etc. The Housemaid uh, remake, even. The Housemaid, um, one of the biggest female stars in Korean cinema. And she, she was huge back then, too. You know, she was already making her way. A story of a gangster who gets injured and is taken to hospital. And he's all bandaged up, and his nurse is Jun Do Yun. And while he's got the bandages on, and she can only see his eyes, she just she won't have anything, she won't have anything to do with him. She doesn't like him. She knows he's a gangster. Once the bandages comes off, she realizes he's a much warmer person, and they almost start to have a relationship until he realizes that his line of work means that she's going to be in danger from people who are out to get him, and. He decides he's going to ha- find some way to hand himself into the cops, which means they won't be together. They won't able be able to be together. And they end up having to spend a final time together promising each other, which is why it's a promise. As you can tell, it's melodrama. It's the separated by insurmountable odds sort of movie. The letter, funny comparison, which was the next big thing, Story of a couple who are deeply in love, no troubles in the world until the man finds out he has terminal cancer and he begins to write letters to his wife to comfort her after he's gone. Again, huge melodrama, the whole terminal illness thing that became huge in Korean cinema. Very similar genre to A Promise. If we jump over Whispering Corridors as the the black sheep, if you like, the horror side of things, to number four, and we've got Christmas in August, which is, of course, Hansa Q and Shim Yuna as people who are about to fall in love, but she doesn't realize that he is terminally ill and they're not going to be together again. Another terminal illness melodrama. So you can see from the top four what the general viewing preferences were they loved these middle-aged women loved all these melodramas and they're great films but they're so similar it's it's like you know they're they're almost a series on their own so for whispering corridors to come in and jump in between them and and be so different was was a huge 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 things and and it said a lot for where genres could be stretched in terms of Korean cinema as a whole, which was a big surprise to other people as well. Whispering Corridors was also an award winner at the Korean Grand Bell Awards. Specifically, the uh, the award that uh, went to the movie was to actress Lee Mi Yeon playing uh, playing the teacher that comes back to formerly the former student in the best supporting actress category, which is. Uh, Sure, best actress, best supporting actress. It's kind of a fine line, I suppose, because she's really a key character. But uh, there are about three key characters, I suppose. So, you know, 
she walked home a winner. So best supporting actors, whatever. I totally. <laughs> uh, this year was otherwise. Uh, 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 really, to be honest, she she is um, s- seems like um, a somewhat uh, experienced actress. Uh, uh, there's a there's a sense that n- uh, an adult of sorts needs to carry this story. And that's why it ca- that casting works uh, very well. So I'm, I'm I'm not surprised that that assured nature landed her an award. As a matter of fact, um, even though even though we're young girls, uh, I'm sure would have earned a, a nomination or two. But uh, it, it it sort of makes sense that this this was the actor's day singled out. Yeah, and again, you've got to you've got to remember that Lee Min Young at that time in 19 or 1998 was already a big star. She'd been going from 94 95 in both tvs and films and i keep going back to it but the the middle-aged woman demographic adored her so bringing her in was a way to draw them to a film that they may not have really been familiar with otherwise whereas the younger audiences just wanted to see it because it's it's a horror wow 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 um so bringing her in was a really big plus point um the younger actresses were were pretty pretty new you know they they weren't virtually not known at all but if you look at the girl who plays jay who's it's called che kang he since she was in whispering corridor she's gone on to make a, a huge bang in the new korean cinema thing and still acting to recent years she's done wana and juni she's done petty romance and um, she's a big big star now and i have to hold my hand up and say i didn't recognize her she looks so young in this um i didn't recognize her until i actually saw her name and thought oh wow it hit really well in terms of young people relating to new faces they didn't know middle-aged women relating to stars and and the, the performances certainly of Eamon young are certain it's certainly worthy of of the award she had even if it is for supporting actress rather than the bigger thing this year, otherwise, at the Korean Grand Bell Awards was uh, otherwise the year that gave us Spring in My Hometown as a Best Picture winner. And the action blockbuster Shiri was honored with the Best New Actress Award, while fellow Shiri star Han Suk-kyu won Best Actor for his performance in the drama that Paul mentioned, Christmas in August. Uh, Whispering Corridors was also rumored to be getting a Chinese remake, a mainland Chinese remake in 2015 set for a 2016 release, but it seems that that did not materialize in the end. However, a remake did come out in Indonesia in 2019 as Death Whisper. Were you interested to like check it out? Like, How did they do or you simply just noted the news and moved on? I really noted the news and just moved on because for, for me, I'm so used to getting hold of Korean stuff, it's it's kind of easy getting hold of sort of Chinese stuff. I'm less au fait with how to do that, and you just think if if I'm gonna go and find something that hasn't been released here, it, it's going to be Korean, you know. So I was interested, and I assume they they paid it homage, but I'll I'll stick with the Korean stuff. I think. Yeah, our director of uh, Whispering Corridors, uh, Park Ki Hyung made his feature debut with Whispering uh, Corridors and has directed five films since then. And you might think that that would mean he's MIA for like a decade. He's been MIA for a decade, but no. His first four films were made in a span of eight years, but he did direct again as late as uh, 2019. So it's out of that run that, that does touch upon horror and romance and action. 
What films out of Secret Tears, uh, Acacia, Gangster High and the latest un- in 2019, Unalterable, stand out in your eyes? I mean, are, is the quality across these different dips into genres or the, qual- or the output varies in your eyes? Yes and no. And that's a really stupid answer. It's the worst answer I could give. But bear with me. Um, I'll leave Whispering Corridors out for the minute because we're, we're going to be talking about it in a minute. If we start with Secret Tears, this was him learning his trade. It's sort of a, a psychological film that ultimately turns out to have supernatural elements. It's about a guy who knocks down a young girl who turns out to have supernatural powers that start to grow and get slightly out of control. And for the first hour, he holds it together really well. He's really fixated on on detail he he covers it really perfectly but from about the first hour in he starts lying by omission he gives you tiny little bits of information and requires you to do an insane amount of work to be able to figure out it's going before it actually gets there and with with a having to work that hard for a film you want the payoff to be really good and sadly the payoff is far far too simple I'm not even going to mention what it is. You almost, after a good first hour, you feel disappointed. You feel like you've been meant to work far too hard for far too little. He was learning his trade and he did get better. Um, The one thing I will say in complete sidestep to this, back when Secret Tears came out, you know, there were so few people actually writing about Korean cinema. A lot of the stuff online, you couldn't trust. It was, you know, it was far worse than not being able to trust what you read on Wikipedia at times. And for years, Secret Tears was listed as Son Ye Jin's first movie. And that's where I got, that's why I got hold of it. That's why I watched it four times in a row, trying to see where Son Ye Jin is in it. You know, is her role that small? And of course, she's not in it at all. They were just wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's still on IMDb, but she's the only character who doesn't have a name attached to uh, to her in the listing whoops that's because she ain't in it um <laughs> you know it got as much feedback in terms of it being known because of that than because of the film itself and it's complete rubbish she's not in it it's a it's a 2000 uh, film listeners so or that's the era paul is referring back to where people yeah. weren't writing as much about korean cinema you know, he's learned his trade. Horror, he's he's done Whispering Corridors. He's he's trying to move it into a more psycho sort of thing. And it kind of half works and half doesn't. Um, if we look at Gangster High and The Unalterables, which was his 2019 film, they're, funnily enough, gangster movies. They're kind of throwaway. They're interesting enough. If you're an action fan, you'll enjoy them but they don't say anything that a good Ryu Sung Wan film says. Um, you know, Gangster High, a, a group of kids set up a, a club just to, you know, have fun. Um, they get involved with a girl who's involved with a gangster in another gang, and they all end up in a big billboard room fighting it out, you know, high kicks left, right and centre. The Unalterables is essentially about a man who wants a great life, so he decides to become a gangster, and when he becomes a gangster, he realizes that his life's actually hell because he's surrounded by threats and betrayal. And interesting enough, they don't say anything new. The quality's there, but they're not that memorable. 
And I'm going to now jump back to the early 2000s to Acacia. And I, once again, he was in horror. And it's by far his standout piece. It's it's known as a classic of new Korean cinema and new Korean cinema horror. It's about a young boy who's adopted by a couple who can't have kids. They have an acacia tree in their garden. He becomes fixated with it. And the more fixated with it he becomes, the more bad things start to happen. The parents don't know whether it's the kid who's bad or if it's something to do with what the tree is doing to him. And it's one of the creepiest, slow burning, yeah, but one of the creepiest, darkest, little budget Korean horrors from the classic times that you're going to see, and I can't read it highly enough. So if you look overall, the quality's decent. Um, he has his ups, his downs, he has his throwaways, but for me, Acacia shows that he really can do what he wants to do when he actually puts his mind to it and gets it done. What I wanted to say too was that uh, this uh, the cover I saw of it was very evocative but it had a Tartan H Extreme banner on it so that should be uh, hopefully easy enough to get on uh, on DVD uh, second hand if you want to seek out uh, what Paul deems to be the standout movie from Park uh, Ki Hyung. You know, and it does have to be said that I'm not going to give anything away about it because we're not talking about it but if you do choose to check out Acacia, there are some genuinely shocking visuals in it. It's 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 quite a film. It's quite a film. All right, dear. And, uh, but we've uh, we've reached uh, the talk of his uh, debut at hand here, Whispering Corridors, and uh, the, Paul has surely seen it once or twice before, uh, but this was my first viewing, and I think it uh, appears quite confident stylistically, and even in this year, in 2021, it's, it, it appears comfortable and fresh enough but being part of the horror genre which is not easy to do and uh, you you should also think back on the fact that uh, the the asian horror wave was sweeping across you know asia and the globe uh, at the end of the night and the dish could be lumped into that so but, but it still feels fresh enough uh, it takes its time to coherently unveil the layers of the story without overloading the film or overloading with exposition and i think it effectively gets there through creepy and even violent passages uh, but when it comes down to it it, uh, it does a decent job examining tender friendship as well but without hitting the melodrama button tenfold just because he's a debut director. Melodrama, ding, 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 ding. Um, and I appreciated that. So I, I, I thought it was quite a good watch. Uh, so well, what did you uh, think about it this time around? I have two main trains of thought. In terms of looking at it in 2021, some people may find it overly slow compared to contemporary horror. Uh, what you've got to remember is that's what Korean cinema horror did back then they were they were learning what they were doing and as i keep saying the whole thing was you know drama stories that were attracting these middle-aged women we've got a part we've got a, a few minutes of horror at the very beginning and then it's almost exactly one hour in the running time that the next piece of horror actually physically appears that hour is used to put drama forward which would have appealed to those women and appealed to the young kids who were actually who had lived through that sort of non-horror but horrific childhood in school and the problems they had so from a perspective of someone who that would relate exactly to it works like a charm it goes on too long the, the hours too long by today's standard 
still still by Korean standards, it's not even touching to the two hour mark at all. No, <laughs> exactly. I think I think it's about one forty. I think, but anybody who who just turns around and goes, oh yeah, to you know, disappointing. I have seen a comment recently that said they were disappointed by it and they didn't check out other things. That's valid, but you've got to look at where. Korean cinema and where, where Korean cinema horror was back then, and if you do that, you'll come away with a much warmer feeling about the film. I think it works as a drama with horror elements rather than being called just a horror. And uh, as we come to look at Memento Mori and Wishing Stairs, you'll see that they start moving more towards the the horror thing, but they've still got these elements of this is as much a story about society, a critique of society that's just taking the horrific and and making it visually horrific as well as psychologically horrific. It it works for me. It certainly works for me more than Memento Mori did. Not quite as much as Wishing Stairs, but we'll talk about those later. And and funnily enough, it seems anxious opening when it opens up because it's all horror and it's uh, it's not ashamed of playing with elements like slow motion dripping water and lightning storms that illuminates a nighttime building that's abandoned and uh, someone who shouldn't be in the rain at the time is and there's spooky sounds, uh, POV shots, someone is alone in the school. There's dark corridors and flashlights uh, searching dark areas and someone hears the sound. So it it's all tropey, but it it seems that it doesn't care because it's here to set up a story, and quickly this is the fast moving aspect of the movie. But I never reacted to it being slow. I thought it was engaging all all throughout. But uh, your 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 point is very valid. That I think it would be interpreted that way. But it really is is effective as it uh, opens up with. We we obviously are not going to be let in on any secrets as Mrs. Park solves this haunting puzzle concerning something 12th grade because she counts like the years 92 94 96 oh shit 12th grade and we're on the outside but we hope we will catch up with some clarity and coherency being uh, handed to us and that gets here there's a nicely established haunting line as she talks on the phone like jinju is here it's her and without context we we know that she's She's dead. Uh, we, we know that much, but it, it, it's pretty—it's pretty nicely haunting. And the death scene of Mrs. Park is pretty great, technically, because in two or three edits, she's uh, strangled and she's hung herself already. Like that—that that is, it's very rapid, and I quite like that. That uh, the, the, this is obviously the work of ghostly powers, and she's not doing it slow or anything. It's just boom, boom, you're dead. You almost get the feeling that it 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 does work. Yes, it, it it's great that it does. I got the feeling that it's going boom, boom, boom. Here's your setup. Now we're gonna go back and and do our social critique. And uh, you know you've had you've had your slice of horror for a while. That'll keep you going. And I think it works because of that. It should also be said that this is so many years ago. What got to twenty five years ago? Mrs. Park, the first character we see looks a lot younger than she does now i i you know and she even at this point she's sort of middle-aged her name is uh lee young Nyo, and fans of big korean cinema might not recognize her because she does look young but she was the mad mother who was in part i'm a cyborg but that's okay she was in the wailing 
from Nahongjing. She was in The Voice. She's even been in little independent films in recent years, like Beautiful Vampire, which is a great little, you know, schlocky horror. A huge star since she's only got five minutes in this before she's hanging from a rope. But, um, you know, check it, check it out and see that you recognize her because she's important. And I also t- technically like things like, uh, but, and again, it's hard to get this right, but these static shots of the environment that is touched upon uh, after this sort of uh, uh, this uh, hellraiser of a sequence, really, we, we get static shots of, you know, the, 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 the very long uh, desolated hallways, the abandoned library, you know, you know it's simple, effective ways of spooking, even in daylight, these totally quiet, even in daylight, uh, totally quiet uh, but certainly at night where there's no power on, these environments are even more haunting. And um, they, I don't know, you, you get cynical sometimes, Paul, uh, without you knowing it or without you wanting it. So it's easy to like, tropes. But it, 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 it this really neatly escapes it despite being uh, over 20 years old, which I very much appreciated. And then we get into the hour, and it's not you know, it's not totally easy. You have a fair amount of girls that are important to the story to uh, keep track of, and there's some little hints dropped of what their characteristics going to be, and it's not totally clear cut because we, we got a mix of assertive, shy, strange girls, uh, you know, that that just seemingly looks like they're up to no good because they have a glare about them, but um, it's not as clear cut as that. And uh, I mean, it's really like. Like four or five main girls, it seems like it's free. They convince us that there are a lot more that are important than we know by the back end, how it plays into that, but we're not going to spoil it. Uh, so it's for, for me, I, I just sort of had to sit there and focus and um, have a little cast list with names in front of me just to make sure I'm, I'm getting the gist of it. But for instance, you know, obviously uh, Choi Kang-hee, Playing the the young, not so assertive girl looks like you can scare her out of her shell by just saying "boo." Yeah. Um, but, but then you have your, you know the friend who develops into a friend because uh, the Lim Ji O character played by Kim Gyu Ri. I, I wasn't too sure about her if uh, she was up to no good, if she was the manipulating friend who uh, spots weakness. And it turns out that that is certainly not the case. But I, I don't know. Did, did did you spot that that he was playing a little with us uh, in terms of who is going to be the warmth to follow, who's going to be the up to no good, possibly a bit spooky, scary to follow, maybe evil to an extent. Like, did you get a sense that he was playing a little bit with us uh, in terms of? I, I got the feeling that he was really deliberately doing that, and from. From my point of view, that really speaks again. You know, the, the demographic he's looking to get, schoolgirls. You know, schoolgirls can turn. Look at the Korean cinema over the years, and you see endless stories about friendships that that turn out not to be friendships because one's a manipulator and the other one's not, and you don't know who's who. Um, he's really, really pushing it deliberately like that, I think. And I got a huge feeling of, is she the? Mm, um, and you, you're never sure and you're never meant to be sure. And I think he succeeds wholly in that. It should also be mentioned, by the way, we didn't mention is that Paul Kee-hung is the co-writer of the script as well. So not only is he making his feature debut, but he had a hand in writing this too. And I, I would also like to note that the the fact that we've got, we don't know who's the good girl, who's the 
troubled girl who's the bad girl is juxtaposed really nicely with the way the teachers are portrayed. There's there's one character, I don't know whether you want to mention their name at some point, but he's referred to as Mr. Pervert by another of the teachers. He almost implies a more sexual connotation to the girls' friendships. You know, at one point he turns to two girls that are sitting chatting together and says, you're not on a date. And that will raise its head a lot more in the following series. But I think that was deliberate. And it does have to be said, and I will shut up in a minute, um, that that caused Whispering Corridors a huge amount of controversy. Well, well, we should we should really lean into that because I didn't prep you beforehand because I read about it late that this film ruffled some feathers, but not because it was scary, but because it um, the certain um, areas of the society had a problem with the way the teachings the teachers were portrayed in this movie that it wasn't fair. Yeah, educational groups in on mass. Um, actually tried to get the film banned because they said it, it, it was unfair, it was inaccurate, and it, it portrayed pe- teachers in a wholly bad light, blaming them for something that was not their fault. They didn't succeed, but that controversy helped it in the long run anyway. Um, and I think that speaks out a lot in terms of, again, you know, the attitudes that young ex-school kids watching this film would have because a lot of them saw their teachers in that light so it's going to grab them even further i think it works beautifully on that level i mean i i don't know but what the movie does portray is uh, a sense of fascism and a sense of tyranny from uh, one or two teachers especially uh, the character of mad dog or mr o yeah but i don't know if it is exaggerated but it sure is effective for the story that uh, the, the freedom they have to just um, dish out abuse, very physical abuse, is um, some of the scarier moments in the film, to be honest. And uh, I mean, did, did did you get a sense that uh, it, that it's not far from the truth, as a matter of fact, knowing a little bit about Korea, or do you think it's exaggerated to a degree to play a little devil's devil's advocate here? There's, there's going to be an element of devil's advocate, but there are issues. Everybody knows there are issues with. The, the Korean school system as it was, you know, uh, you take average school kids, many would be at school at 6am and they wouldn't be leaving, you know, they'd do their studies and then they'd have after studies, they wouldn't be leaving to not study anymore until 10 or 11 at night and that was deliberately forced on them by the teachers and there's a scene in this film where uh, Mr. O or Mad Dog, he's he's furious about something and he gets all his students to get up on the their desks and hold their arms in the air. And you see that a lot in Korean cinema. Um, these things happened. You know, the, the educational companies can slag it off. But, you know, their Korean school system was, by its very nature, authoritarian. You know, they didn't take no for an answer. They didn't let you step out of line you were there to study and if you didn't there would be consequences so yes it's overtly exaggerated in terms of his character but overall these things were issues that people were crying out about and have cried about ever since as they tried to change the korean school system it's really it's really hard to watch uh, especially uh, one of the latter yeah. uh, 
uh, after the discovery of the painting, um, as Mr. O reacts to that, that's one of the hardest films to watch in the movie because uh, he, uh, he sort of uh, it, he beats her to the degree that this uh, this is soon a matter of the police. You know, when you see when you see a young student and he beats her and she stands up and she's facing the camera with him behind her and you, all you see is her wiping the blood from her mouth and it's. It's it's quite shocking, and you see this a lot in in later Korean cinema stuff based in schools. You do, but you know this 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 was the step away from the whole melodrama thing. This was really controversial at the time. This was new, so I think that that deserves a lot of credit for the, the bravery of Park Young in in doing this. There's also mental abuse in a way because as the as flashbacks happen and there's a there's a line drawn between the characters even now in the press and you know the history between the characters is revealed to us gradually throughout that hour and we see Mrs. Park was a bit of a tyrant as well. She walks up to one of her students just it's not a huge flashback. It's shortly before she dies and she uh, goes up to possibly it's uh, the uh, Lim Gio character that Kim Gyuri plays and she says you smell of incense like you're sh- like you're shaman mother and they, they bring in shamanism in, in this movie to a to a degree so there th- there's that mental abuse uh, too that's uh, kind of equally hard to watch in a way because uh, she singles her out and uh, echoes that uh, that you should be ashamed of, that you smell like your mother. So uh, there's affect a little bit there, to, uh, touching upon that. But yet he doesn't forget that this is a horror film, so he he sort of populates the film with that tropey but still effective, uh, ominous literal whispers in the sound design. You know, in the whispering corridors, there are literal whispers and. Uh, you know, it's it's part of the music score. It's part of the sound design. It's there to make us pay attention, but it's not terribly insecure in my in my eyes because those are little dips. And then, you know, Park works his hour through the dialogue route that doesn't need enhancement at all times. You know what I mean? Like uh, there's uh, there's a mystery to be uh, pay, paid attention to rather than. Uh, assault us with the audiovisual aspects of uh, the horror so it's um, d- therefore the, the last thing i was thinking of was tropes uh, as i was watching the, the horror unfold mainly through dialogue i mean i will say the one thing that uh, I, di- I didn't roll my eyes but i was i was very overly aware of was when the horror does start to show itself you know whether you're talking about the first five minutes or or later on after that first hour there are a number of periods where something scary will happen and you hear a scream in the background that's obviously not a scream of a character and i thought that was a little bit obvious but i i, I let it go but because it was almost curiously humorous in a way um in the middle of you know a jump scare we've got a disembodied scream for whatever reason but, you know, t- make of that what you will. Um, but it, it is noticeable from my point of view. Speaking of the tyranny again, that uh, you know, the teacher's echoes um, uh, discipline and no friendship. But uh, it's so, sort of classic that that will result in friendship and, and even rebellion, uh, natural or supernatural rebellion. So, uh, so that that's a little audience hook, I think, that uh, this... Uh, Rebellion against the forward, authoritative nature 
is uh, there, which I think, think would be so, so cinematically engaging for for a younger uh, audience. Uh, and uh, again, one of the more interesting characters I thought was Lim Jio, because I didn't have a handle on her. It, it seems interest, interesting to me that she sort of flip-flops between looking devious, maybe, and manipulative, and but she's also curious, and she she seems generally caring for the weak, and she also has art in her that m- does result in uh, macabre art because she, she's witnessed and uh, she hasn't turned away from the death that she has uh, witnessed. She, she has seen Mrs. Park hanging. That's a hook, uh, and these are threads and bits that are calmly unveiled without signaling exactly where we're going. So that pe- people might say slowness. I thought it was quite well-paced because uh, he didn't rush through the mystery nor spend too much time away from it. You know what I mean? Uh, And uh, maybe because I'm older and I'm used to old cinema being differently paced, but, you know, I didn't have any preconceived notion of this. I just thought that uh, this was the suitable pace for the movie. Uh, A good amount of characters, but I I got a handle on them, and as Lee Mee-Yon enters the picture and we follow her a little bit more she's following the trails she knows of the past we don't quite yet uh, know of her past as a student now a teacher but but the, the hint is that she sees things uh, coming back uh, and repeating themselves uh, and that mystery is unveiling is involving rather and we had a nice burst at the beginning now there's a a, a mystery that's involving a little visual cues like the bells, the the desk that uh, the blood drips on top of, and the blood in the roof, and all of that, and uh, and and little hints at going back to the character that uh, you know the di- died. They say that she died in the art room, and then uh, we, we sort of get these uh, connections to the present of art, of uh, doing art, and uh, what that repetition is gonna end up we don't know but it, it's that uh, I, I was with those details and I didn't think uh, he overloaded on them nor was he being too elusive and uh, and that made me pay attention um, and I suppose that's good for a debut director isn't it to not, not be too anxious to just get it out there or have a big chunk of exposition just to be super duper clear yeah totally and I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly you know I mean all you need to do in terms of seeing this as as well paced is to invest in the fact that it is for a big part a drama yes it's it's going to be a horror film but the drama is as important and in terms of that it is engaging it did hold me and you know that's a, that's a very positive thing from my point of view if you look at as we've already mentioned secret tears um he took his measuredness and he tried to almost take it too far by you know giving tiny little snippets of information rather than either all or nothing i think he 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 hit very lucky here as a debut director and got it as right as he could have he certainly got it more right than he did in secret tears and you know that's that's to his his credit really you 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 talked a little bit about uh some of the horror scenes that followed and what, what kind of sound design or, or scares they put on the soundtrack that, that you might feel okay yeah, well fine but what, one of the things I enjoyed the most uh, out of the latter horror bursts no, not the very end but uh, let's say the middle when uh, I believe it's when um, you know 
Mr. O was a tyrant and a bully, you realize something's going to happen to him. So let's just spoil that. So when yeah. the, fl- the the flicker or uh, of the classrooms signs as uh, you know so someone is hitting them and they go uh, they go waving back and forth. I thought that was a nice touch. I really like that physical touch that something is making them move as we go through classroom 3-1, classroom 3-2, and then to the key, classroom 3-3. Uh, and even with the ghostly chimes on the soundtrack, I thought, I thought it was really an enjoyable way of uh, manifesting ghostly presence. And even, you know, you see a girl at the end of the hall being obscured, but still that, that's a, an effective sort of nostalgic late 90s moment. But what I really enjoyed more than anything else on top of that is that the the murder set pieces go for the gory approach yeah uh, the ghost clearly wants that type of revenge meaning people are stabbed and there, there's a fair amount of blood in, uh, in portions of this movie and it was interesting going into the very end that we won't spoil uh, psychologically why there was a need for that much violence when the when when it's revealed that the reasons for the haunting uh, being what they are but, but i won't spoil that it, it was interesting um any enjoying enjoyment in uh in in the stuff that i talked of the mix of classic ghostly uh sites mixed with the fact that um these people die violently oh yeah totally um from my point of view he hit the he hit it right out of the park you know it is a lot more violent than even it's been a, a load of years since I watched it, and I only rewatched it a couple of nights ago just for this. Um, and it, it it reminded me just how bloody violent it is. And I think that, in terms of its horror, sets off really well against the the broodingness of of the drama. Um, and it really does speak to what's behind why th- these murders are so vicious. It worked like a charm. The horror elements themselves, they're not just your standard jump scares. This is horror. This is, you know, it's it's brutal stuff. Um, And it works like a charm. I guess to to round off my notes again, no spoilers, but um, I I was keeping up with it despite involving uh, an additional two key characters towards the back end, making this sort of a four four girls one adult drama or three girls or one adult uh, drama but what what seem like minor players really do occupy a place because they are reflections of similar events of the past similar patterns of uh, tragedy and violence and uh, the, the driving uh, the, you know driving a wedge in friendships uh, that is a repeating pattern and uh, i suppose um, the only thing I want to say about the ending is that it, it took me a little bit by surprise, but in a good way, that there was an element of sadness amidst the terror of the ending. And Park, the director, takes the time to slow down and uh, feature some good expressive acting without overdoing it. Again, he doesn't push the melodrama button in, in an exaggerated way when, where a new director probably could have. So yeah. but by the back end, we get this mix of sad, sadness, uh, confusion in characters living or living or dead issues like i mean this is very vague for someone who hasn't uh, seen it but i'm gonna say it anyway Uh, issues of fear of what may become Uh, and it turns generally sort of moving and sad as uh, characters lay lay out reasonings for 
for the events. And those reasons are not necessarily well thought out because um, they, they involve kids. So, so, so it's interesting, therefore, that it was, again, it's very vague, but that, that it was almost... Um, almost sad and innocent but it was but but all of this sadness and innocence still generated violence and gory violence yeah and that, that was effective to me it made sense to me uh, that uh, it turned out to be like that and, uh, and and to be honest decent twist ending it suggests a whispering corridor cycle and it, it's almost like why 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 not you know you, you've, you've done good and uh, it, it's almost expected of you to have a little gotcha <laughs> at the end uh, I, I think it's up for criticism. I think people would roll their eyes at why would you end it like that? But hey, you know, it's uh, ho- horror sometimes represents a cycle. It's not just a lazy setup for a sequel. And Memento Mori, it's not a sequel to this, correct? It's its own story anyway, right? Totally. You know, I mean, the the whole the whole end, when I first saw the film, the, the very last little, I guess, coda segment, Sort of, it just says history repeats itself. Really, to be vague, it, when I watched it first, I did think, well, there's, there's the the sequel coming, and I'm so pleased it didn't. It means I was able to go back knowing that that wasn't going to be the case, and it really is just saying history repeats itself. And I think, in terms of that, yes, it may be a little bit cliched, but I think it's it's saying something slightly different, and I I do. I do like the the sadness mixed with the horror that leads up to it that just screams of again this this is in the, in a school system like this these sorts of things are going to keep happening even if you take away the actual horror you know there are you know think of the number of suicides there truly are among school children in Korea and have been over the years it's insane so I I think it speaks a lot of actual society while being horrific but having a heart to it and saying you know we we kind of understand what you're going through um i think it works on a lot of levels because of that all within goriness would you, would you say it's um, unusually well handled uh, the way the sadness of a drama and the emotional outbursts play out towards the end i mean we're talking a debut director uh who, who had done like a, an, an acclaimed short i believe i read that in the tartan notes yeah, but yeah. still as a debut director that could have been um very flat but, uh, but but i found it gripping to be honest you know so did i and having what seen korean film for so many years and knowing that at some point we're going to head towards melodrama when it started on first watch even all those years ago I was nervous that it was going to be overly handled in terms of the melodrama. And it is there. The the elements are there. It has to be. It's Korean cinema, for heaven's sake. You know, those middle-aged women have to be appeased somehow. But but that was a key word, by the way, because there's a peaceful nature to the ending as well. Again, keeping it vague. Yeah, uh, totally. When all is uh, resolved, at least for the moment. I'm so so grateful that he reined himself in and he managed to keep that melodrama in check and and made it much more real for me um so uh, credit to him for it um i think it i think it really works on all those levels without being too overboard i can imagine that ending is uh, something that has stuck with viewers of this throughout the years uh, don't know if anyone ranks this as either an iconic film or uh, the, the scenes at the end being being iconic uh, 
new Korean cinema scenes, but I can imagine it um, it lingered with new viewers back in the day, and and hopefully still. Very much so, and you know, it it is it to give you a huge general spoiler in terms of what's thought of the films um, out of all three of the main ones you speak to somebody who has even slightly written about Korean cinema and I'll almost guarantee you they'll mention Memento Mori as the most famous and the most memorable Whisper in Corridors is also quite well thought of but for me it should be more well thought of than Memento Mori because it worked for me on that level and we'll we'll talk about why I think that when we come to do Memento Mori, but it, you know, it struck a chord. It certainly did. Um, hence, it's huge success. So I suppose uh, that's the end of uh, uh, my notes. So I'm going to ha- hand it over to you if you want to uh, mention any other specifics uh, throughout the movie or do a little, uh, do a little additional summary. So the floor is yours. All I'd like to say is when you go into Whisper and Corridors, enjoy the very start, and then allow yourself to invest in what is a drama. I, I keep constantly mentioning a film called Sorum. I know I do, and I apologize. But Sorum was released as a horror, and it isn't a horror. And it, it destroyed many people's thoughts on it because they were expecting a horror. When they got something else, they were really disappointed. It's a phenomenal film, and I think a lot of the same could be said about Whisper and Corridors. Expect something with horror, but expect to be watching a drama that's wholly worthy of your investment of your time, your energy. If you look at it as a, as a drama in the horror genre rather than a horror film, you'll enjoy it far more and rate it far more highly. As for availability of uh, Whispering Corridors, uh, as far as I know, there's no sign of a Blu-ray, but uh, Totten released DVD editions for both the UK and America. All of them, uh, with the first three, for instance, are available still at very cheap prices there's also different box sets for the us and uk all from tartan though both in the us and the uk with uh, the american box set it collects uh, the tartan releases of the first three if you pick up the box set you you can get it individually Uh, so it's whispering corridors memento mori and wishing stairs in the box set in the us while uh, the uk dvd box set actually adds the fourth movie the voice as well uh, but um, at this point, uh, I, I bought them separately, and that was uh, affordable as well. I mean, the, the, the DVD print, it, it, it doesn't look terribly hot. Um, the, it sure is in need of a, a little spit and polish uh, to make it look a little bit better, you know, for a 1998 movie. But again, uh, you, you get into it, and um, if there's no other options, you, you really shouldn't. Um, sit there on the fence and wait when it is so affordable again most of the time i'd say over 90 percent of the time when i look for tartan asia extreme titles whether or even sin asia uh, for um, either hong kong or korean titles i rarely find them um, uh, hugely uh, at uh, hugely expensive prices just because they're old uh, uh, rob of the opposite so that's uh, something that i'm sure angers paul here because back in the day i paid 20 pounds and uh, I, 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 I've, <laughs> I've said that too much haven't i yeah. and i did as well you know when i bought the, all those hong kong legends dvds back in the early 2000s uh, collecting bruce lee that was you know in import costs you know i probably paid 20 mm. 25 30 pounds when all was said and done to get it here so i mean I, i've been in that spot as well i just uh, simply didn't collect korean cinema back then yeah, now yeah. i can and i can get away with it too <laughs> i mean I, i'll be honest with you i'm my own worst enemy on that on that level because in terms of this series of films i bought 
the the UK Tartan release, which has the, the four. It's got the voice in it. And if you're going to get one of the Tartans, um, if you can get the UK one, get it because the voice certainly has its moments. It stars Kim Oak Bin, who most of you will know from the Villainess, and she's she's phenomenal, and, and it's 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 worthy of being included. So I'd grab that. But um, I later got the chance to get deluxe versions of the Korean releases the original korean releases and i went and bought them too so i can't talk about it It cost me a lot of money i chose to buy the damn thing twice but you know if nothing else there's another reason that if if you if you listen to what i think it's so worth checking out it's so worth checking out you might as well buy it twice cool but uh, at any rate uh, we'll be back to uh, talk of Memento Mori as Paul said in the next episode and uh, we'll conclude uh, the coverage at least for the moment with an episode uh, after that on Wishing Stairs and I know this much um, if you want to do some prep on Wishing Stairs uh, pick up um, uh, a cheap audio version of The Monkey's Paw because it's actually sort of based on that short story kind of is if you, if you can't pick it up um uh, elsewhere go to youtube and hear christopher lee sir christopher lee read the monkey's paw to you so almost worth doing just by the sake of it you know what i mean at any rate this episode on whispering corridors is in the bag for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com all relevant links that turned up in the discussion will be added here in uh, the show post uh, for you Let's see if i can find some trailers and whatnot for you in terms of whispering corridors and uh, check it out social media links available in the same show post or permanently on podcastonfire.com so check it out and uh, i'll hand over to paul for your uh, final uh, final thoughts or final plug at the very least i've said everything i think i need to say about whispering corridors do check it out um, the fact that it's so cheap makes it you know almost almost a, a demand in the meantime, if you're bored and you want to look into some of the other Korean horrors we've talked about, pop over to hangocelluloid.com and, and have a, a troll through some stuff. Excellent. Well, we'll be back um, and I hope you enjoyed and uh, we're going to continue our, our sort of deep dive into Memento Mori uh, Wishing Stairs and uh, therefore the girl school horror um. Uh, cycle of films and in the future we might go beyond that as well but uh, we know at the, at the very least that paul he- heavily dislikes one of them so um but uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't say heavily i in in comparison between the the, the five there there's there's one that stands out as much less effective but we'll talk about that later and if we keep this up uh, maybe the humming whispering corridors um uh, will have come out so maybe we will have access to that and can finish off the coverage that way who knows but uh, the first uh, is in the bag so thank you very much for listening I've been Kennedy and with me was Paul Quinn of Hangol Sally Lloyd so say goodbye to the to the scared kids thanks for listening kids see you later <laughs>